Hello and welcome to the show up dad. This is a podcast for hardworking fathers looking to level up their fathering skills and be more than just a paycheck or provider for their home. Today, I'd like to welcome none other than the woman who sparked the change in me, the love of my life and the why behind the show up dad, Jenny Mendonca. Welcome to the show up dad, babe. I know living with me has not been easy, but thank you for being patient in my transformation. Can you go ahead and give us a version of your version of what happened leading up to December 25th, 2018. Thanks for having me, honey. So excited about all this. Um, yeah, so to start our story off, um, at that time, you were working in El Paso. It had been about three years that you were out there as a foreman, uh, journeyman lineman. And uh, I was here at the home with the kids. I always like to say that uh, I was dating my husband at the time because we only saw you on the weekends. Um, and so I made a decision to focus on the goals that I could control. And one of the goals that I wanted to accomplish was to run a marathon. So I started to train and I was outside running like two hours a day six miles a day, every day, uh, when I started to feel really sick and tired. Um, just, I thought that I was overtraining and then the headache started and things like that. Uh, December 25th rolls around and uh, well, I ended up in the emergency room because I was very dizzy and I couldn't feel my hands and legs. There was a lot of problems. I thought I was having a heart attack. My heart was racing. And uh, I told you, you know, I got to go. I got to go to the hospital. And you're like, what do you mean? <laughs> I was like, you need to stay here with the kids. I need to go. Something's really wrong. I just knew something was wrong. And the months leading up to that point, I was preparing the children without knowing what was really going on with me. I started giving them instructions if anything bad had happened to me while you were gone out of town and where they could go and who they could go to for help. So deep down inside, I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know what it was. Um, that night in the emergency room, my, uh, they had done a ton of tests on me, blood tests. EKGs, uh, heart scans, all different things. Uh, then they decided to put an IV. And at that time, my heart rate dropped so low. Uh, one doctor told me that my heart stopped. Others told me that it went down to like 15 beats per minute. I was conscious through the whole thing. I remember feeling all the life leaving my arms and hands and just moving inwards towards my body, that, that feeling just overcoming my body. Um, and then they called you to tell you that uh, they had to resuscitate me. Um, and then from there, we just kept having hospital visits and things and, uh, New Year's Eve rolls around, the same symptoms came up, but I was getting worse 
And I just remember thinking, I'm not going to go back to the emergency room because they don't have answers for me. And I laid in the bed and I cried out to God, Lord, spare me, spare me for my children. Um, and he spoke into my spirit and told me what was wrong with me. And I took it to heart and I started to research and he gave me a green light on which doctor to ask for a specific test. And sure enough, that test, which is almost impossible to get a positive on, and especially within our region, came back as positive for Lyme disease. And uh, it, started, it started a journey of me needing you home, mm -hmm. um, you getting fired from your job at that point in time, and us just really relying on God to provide for every single thing that we needed. And just uh, now we're two years into that healing journey. And um, when I look back, it feels really surreal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's almost like it was a, uh, you kind of, kind of ask yourself, you know, did that really happen? Right. You know? Um, yeah. When you, when you experience a, a near death experience like that, um, it just, it's all kind of a blur, just how bad things got. Mm -hmm. And then to the place that we're at now and going from almost dying and becoming allergic to everything because of the treatment that I was under and not being able to eat foods and all different things like that. And thinking that I was going to starve to death every single day to now living a full thriving life with mm -hmm. you home all the time now it's a, it's such a trend, like such a, a contrast, the differences in, in what we experienced. Mm. No, I agree with you hundred um, percent. I wanted to ask you, Jenny, how has that traumatic incident affected you today? I would definitely say when you go through something like that, you, for me specifically, life became, it became precious. And uh, it became kind of urgent for me to want to live um, having experienced such a, a traumatic experience, almost dying and losing everything. Um, and now there's such an appreciation for small things. When I see like my children being able to eat whatever they want and stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I get very excited about that because it's truly a wonderful gift to have choice and to have freedom. Hmm. Yeah, I do. I remember one of the, you know, few times we'd go out to eat because, you know, obviously when you have kids, you know, when you're, you live out of town, like we do, you know, they get hungry. So I remember going to a restaurant and sitting down eating and we're about to eat a burger. And I remember you just looking over and just having tears in your eyes, just like staring at us as we eat, you know what I mean? And I just thought to myself, man, 
how horrible, you know, here we are, you know, indulging in this and taking, you know what I mean? Indulging in this liberty that we have to eat whatever we want. And here's a person who I love, who's literally starving to death, you know, not being able to eat and she's watching us eat. So after that, we started to make it apparent not to, to really go out at all with you, you know what I mean? So that affected us, you know, cause the kids were used to going out, you know, they're used to, Hey daddy, where are we going to eat? That was like our treat for us as our family. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, when we had to stop that, I mean, it really kind of affected everybody, you know, it, the kid started asking questions, right? Yeah, absolutely. That definitely was like, um, a bonding experience that we treated our family to when we would go out to eat that was something the entire family loved and food brought us together and during that time because of the treatment that I had un undertaken and and the effects on my body um, it was it was so scary food became something that was scary and and to overcome that the way that I did through the treatment of neuroplasticity, it, like training, training your brain um, is really, it's an incredible thing to be back to where we can join in on that as a family and enjoy food. And I tell you what, I love food. I've always loved food. And that's one of the things we always shared in our relationship. Um, and now I'm, I'm a little heavier than I've usually am but man I'm I'm really enjoying it mm -hmm. <laughs> whereas before like um I think I was much more critical of my own body and now I, I really have an appreciation for that extra layer hmm. yeah no and I I totally enjoy the extra layer you know me <laughs> <laughs> but uh so with that being said Jenny can you elaborate a little bit more about uh, neuroplasticity and uh, the lengths that you went to achieve, uh, you know, this, this is victory in being able to overcome, you know, your, your, your cognitive thinking of, of how you were, had become allergic to foods and stuff like that. Can you a little bit, can you elaborate a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So what happened um, in order for people to really understand is I was on like seven different types of antibiotics and antifungals all at the same time, which uh, caused something in me called mast cell activation, which is where uh, the mast cells, which are the first defense layer, uh, line of defense in your body when it comes to infections and stuff, kind of went haywire and decided that everything that was being placed in my body or was touching my body and stuff was harmful to me because I was so overburdened with um, this infection. Um, so not only did I become allergic to foods and makeup and everyday household products, um, it was also pollens and things like that. So when my doctor told me about this incredible uh, program called Annie Hopper's DNRS, Dynamic Neural Retraining System, uh, I kind of did a lot of research on it because it's like no medication. All it is is just uh, like focused thinking. Mm -hmm. And we bought the program believing that it would heal me because there were so many great testimonies about it. And so what I had to do was a lot of work. Um, I was very dedicated because I knew 
God was leading me down the right path and mm. that I would ultimately receive my full healing. And so I had to trigger myself with the things that I was allergic to and then go into some physical exercises with a lot of mental visualizations of myself as a healthy person, remembering past um, memories of me eating food and just rebuilding reassociations with the food in a positive way and then seeing myself in the future eating the foods that I love and really just um, indulging in that vision. And so I think it's, it's taught me so much about how to think positive mm -hmm. and how much what we think about truly affects not only our lives, but our physiology. Mm, no, I agree. Uh, we had a past guest on here, Andy Marr, and he touched base a little bit about that, about uh, rewiring your brain and stuff like that and neuroplasticity. And you are what you think, you know, that's, that's a, that's a biblical term. You know what I mean? A man is what he thinks in his heart, believes in his heart. So that's pretty awesome that you're able to, to utilize that. And, and we saw the fruit of that, you know what I mean? All that hard work you did to get back to, the woman you used to be, you know, right. and, and I actually like to say a better version of yourself. You know what I mean? I hope a better version. Um, definitely you do change and transform through trials. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the goal, right? Is to become the better version. It was a lot of work. It took a full year of an hour a day, if not more of visualizations, but, um, I think it's really given me great tools to be able to cope with uh, other traumas too. Mm. Yeah. Now, talking about traumas, Jenny, our topic is being a line wife, okay? We know that's not an easy thing to do, you know, and I just want to commemorate and just my hat off to each and every one of those line wives who, you know, hold the fort down, so to speak for the linemen like me who go out there and provide for their families. You guys uh, do an amazing job, you know, and I don't think you guys get enough credit. Um, so I wanted to ask you from your perspective, how did being on the road affect your family dynamic? Well, when you were on the road, uh, there was a lot of shifts that had to happen. Mm -hmm. You were still the head of household, but um, not present a lot of the time. So my job became both our jobs mm -hmm. when you weren't here, but I also had to ensure that I was fulfilling your vision of the family too at the same time. So like we had to kind of really just adjust life in a major way and, and choose what was important at the time, um, you were out of town. So I had to ensure that the kids were first and put myself to the side mm -hmm. for a time to ensure that we were moving forward to our vision of what our family should be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely, I, I had to take care of business and be very independent. It, it strengthened me in a lot of ways 
that strength doesn't necessarily come in an easy way. Uh, there was definitely times of loneliness and um, frustration having to raise children on my own for a good part of the week. Mm -hmm. I mean, you would come home on the weekends, which was always so exciting to have you home, but it was always bittersweet because we knew you'd have to leave too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to adjust to, you know, just from my perspective, it's hard to adjust. And we, we've talked about this before I'd come home and I would, you know, spend so much time with the guys or whatever, you know, doing my thing, working, you know, amounts of loneliness as well, you know, and uh, when I'd come home, I didn't know how to really fit into the family's role that I had. For me, it was very hard to adjust because all week I had been a certain way. And then when I got home, it was like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. I didn't know how to fit because when you're home, you're holding down the fort. You know, you were, you were taking two roles that you were never meant to carry and you were, you were doing the best. You know what I mean? You're doing the best that you could. And when I got in, you had a different set of rules, a different set of, uh, you know, uh, of, um, you know, lack of work. I have a lack of words on this, uh, a different set of uh, priorities, you know, that were going on at the house and stuff and, you know, how the kids structure was and everything like that. And when I came home, I thought it was supposed to be a certain way too. So we kind of butted heads. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think even like, not only did you have a difficult time, like adjusting to our schedule, but when you would get home, uh, I couldn't get the things done that I would normally do, mm -hmm. uh, in my daily routine and things like that, because you were here and we wanted you here, but at the same time, it disrupted everything. Mm -hmm. The whole dynamic of the family was was not smooth sailing. And you're absolutely right. I was carrying the role of, of both of us here at the house while you're absent. And I was failing in a lot of ways. We have a lot of property and a small farm and things like that. And and when you would come home, you could you would see the areas I was failing on the yard and stuff because my priority was for our daughter at the time and our children at the time and, and maintaining um, that love bond and not placing uh, yard work and stuff as a main priority. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I see that too, you know, and that, that robbed for me so much because I'd come home and I would see, you know, where, you know, I wouldn't say failing, but, you know, where there was upkeep that was needed mm -hmm. in the yard. And, you know, just in the house, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, uh, you know, having property takes a lot of work. So when I'd come home, I couldn't even really relax because I was so bombarded and overwhelmed with just looking and seeing, you know, whether it be my, my property, uh, my orchard grass, you know, dying or a broken sprinkler or in the irrigation or whatever it may be, you know what I mean? I saw that and I'm like, okay, I got to get this fixed because I'm going to be leaving again on Sunday. So that really robbed from my family time that I had with you guys to just kind of just unwind and, and spend time with you guys. And uh, I see that now. I know hindsight's 2020, you know, but that's the whole point of this show is to 
to see where we've gone wrong and make the adjustments, the shifts that we need to do to become the better versions of ourselves. Right. Right. Yeah. You were definitely, um, wound up. It was, it was mind blowing to me, your work ethic, because you would work so hard at your job. You would drive three, four hours to come home. And then you would take on these insane projects <laughs> where you, <laughs> you would go to the mountains and, uh, you know, get a permit to cut down Latias. So that way our entire acre would have a 14 foot coyote fence all the way around it. Um, and, and you would never leave a project undone. And it was, it was hard to keep up with your drive sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I was on the other side of the spectrum, which, you know, in all reality, we balance each other out because we need somebody to pull us in the other direction. But I was on the other side of the spectrum where I was home alone all the time, just me and Dakota, my, my daughter, and I mean, our daughter, and, and I didn't really have anybody to push me around to not push me around, but to motivate me to, to do things. Um, so when you would get home, I would just be like, oh my gosh, he's working so hard. This <laughs> so, dude's over the top, huh? <laughs> you, you wouldn't even eat. Um, I recall, like, I would have to go outside and remind you, like, did you eat breakfast? Did you eat lunch? Because you wouldn't even eat. You were just like a machine. Dude, I don't even think I'd even drink water. I know. <laughs> I would have to take you a bottle of water. I would have to remind you to come inside and you wouldn't it didn't matter the weather it did not matter how cold if it was windy whatever I would I would be like oh well it's too windy you can't be doing stuff outside today you you didn't care you were just like a machine just work 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 yeah no definitely had a deeper issues there where I was trying to uh, I was trying to mask the pain that I felt from from you know being on the road and, and knowing that I was destroying my family, knowing that I was losing hold of you guys. You know, I felt it, but I didn't know how to convey that into words or even into a, like a feeling or anything. I, I didn't know what was going on. I felt something was going on, but I didn't know what was going on. So in order to mask that pain, I, I dove into work. Mm -hmm. I, I kept myself busy, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's strange because I think during those times of you being out of town um, and it was always like we would have several year stretches where you're out of town and then you'd come home for a couple of years and then it would happen again. But um, we both experienced so much loneliness. And then when we would come together, it was difficult to enjoy each other mm -hmm. so I think that kind of sometimes magnified the loneliness that we felt yeah because we had we're, we're we're growing into two different people right I believe you know what I mean and we it was kind of hard to like it was, if, to me I liken it to a newlywed couple right mm -hmm. where you know, you move in together, whatever, you know, you're, you're, you're freshly married, you know, you have this great chemistry and stuff like that. But then you, after that, after the sparks or whatever, it's like, okay, 
this person kind of bugs me. <laughs> you know I mean? Go over there. Yeah, yeah, go away or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> you really snore horribly or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you you start growing apart from each other because of that absence. You know, you start having that void and you start growing apart instead of growing together the way it was intended to be. Right. Well, like Jimmy Evans says, um, a marriage is like two rivers that have come together. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, when those rivers come together, the, the trajectory of the current hitting each other creates rapids. And we can choose to like flow together mm-hmm. in the same direction and, and become one with one, one vision, one goal. But if you don't do that, the rapids continue throughout the river because there's two currents going in two different directions. And when they collide, it creates that white water. Mm. Hmm. I like that. I haven't heard that yet. (laughs) That's actually pretty good. Jenny, I wanted to ask you, okay, we talked about, you know, how me being on the road affected our family dynamic. What obstacles did you have to overcome being alone? I think uh, the biggest obstacle was definitely being alone um, mentally and physically. Um, I, I just remember like if my battery died or I got like a flat tire mm-hmm. um, and family didn't live close enough to help, I usually had to figure it out. And those are, those are hard realities. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> those are hard realities to have to overcome. Um, I remember you having to call friends. Yeah. Friends that you knew that were linemen that worked here at home to maybe possibly come and help me um, at times. And just um, just having to face yourself. Being alone really causes you to face yourself. And so um, there was a lot of things that were brought up mm-hmm. and just having the desire and, and, and just having a different vision, like thinking that you're supposed to be further along in your life, like in your own personal goals and not reaching those things because mm-hmm. you're kind of um, putting things on hold because the family means more to you than anything else. Mm-hmm like those, uh, you know, we really, I really had to deal with a lot of stuff in my own mind, Mm -hmm. um, with overcome, overcoming being alone. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now I wanted to ask you, babe, how did your upbringing add to this? So definitely, um, my dad had, uh, well, my, my parents got divorced when I was around eight years old and I saw my dad on the weekends regularly, um, kind of a lot like how our relationship worked, mm-hmm. you know, um, but then he moved away to Florida to go to school. And then after that, he moved to Mexico mm-hmm. for some time. And so I think the the fear of abandonment Mm -hmm. the pattern was so similar Mm -hmm. of just seeing you on the weekends 
it was it was really terrifying to kind of face face that and I never saw the connection mm -hmm, mm -hmm. until later you know um you would kind of bring it up to me that maybe there was a connection there mm -hmm. and uh it's only recently I think that starting to really see how that that relationship of what my dad built in me mm -hmm. really affected us um because there were huge amounts of insecurity and fear of being alone and not protected and things like that. And then the dynamic of our marriage and you being out of town all the time just kind of made that a reality mm -hmm. and having to face that was difficult. Um, so I think definitely my dad's actions paved, paved the, uh, the way for those insecurities to mm -hmm. be alone and to be unprotected. Yeah, it seems like it, uh, my actions and what I had to do, you know, in order to provide for my family definitely magnified the underlying issues that you had with the fear and rejection and abandonment you faced from your own child, you know? Yeah. And that's what, I, what I'm seeing now a lot with uh, a lot of people today, you know what I mean? In a healthy marriage, in a marriage designed the way it's supposed to be, I, I believe that our spouse is there to really magnify the problems that we don't want to deal with. So, and, and that again comes off as them being a nag or it causes a lot of fights and tensions in marriages. Cause you're like, well, you know, whatever she's doing is upsetting me or whatever he's doing is upsetting me. But deep down inside, I think people get upset because they recognize something in the other person that they don't like in themselves. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that what you're saying is very true. And when you really think about it, we are um, drawn to the similar characteristics in people that our parents displayed. Mm -hmm. And then when we're married to those people or we're committed to those people, those very same characteristics are the very things that we sometimes hated too as a child mm -hmm. um, growing up. And it's kind of like a sandpaper, right? Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. just kind of, we can allow it to like rub us raw or we can allow it to smooth our edges mm. I think so it it is like we do have to look and see and ask our ask ourselves like why is this bothering me mm -hmm. and how does it relate to me right yeah yeah definitely and I like to call it the process yeah you know a, a lineman friend of mine you know who I spent a lot of time with you know he always told me Dave you got to see the small details, you know, mm -hmm. don't get that tunnel vision, see the small details and sit back and enjoy the process. Let it, you know, let it flow, mm -hmm. you know, in your life. And, uh, I definitely see hindsight 2020, how everything that we've gone through has helped us to become a better version mm -hmm. of ourselves, you know, and even just with the loneliness and abandonment you felt from, from me, you know, it really helped you to really face stuff that you had, you know, possibly really 
put down, push down inside of you some hurts, you know what I mean? That your, your father had caused, you know what I mean? I agree. Um, when you're young and, and you don't realize what um, your parents' actions are really doing to you, uh, you kind of develop like coping mechanisms in your life and patterns that serve you. And then when you get older, it, those, those coping patterns don't really work in marriage, mm-hmm. right? And so um, you have to like reevaluate and readjust and grow and uh, change and be adaptable. And it's, it's good. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a difficult process. I think sometimes whenever we have to face those hard things and being alone here as a line wife, um, which I'm sure most wives that are of linemen, traveling linemen would agree. Um, sometimes it can be excruciating mm-hmm. to be alone. Hmm. Yeah, I can't even imagine, you know, as, as men, we never think about that. We just think that, hey, we're going out, we're going out to provide, you know, and, you know, we're going to provide this lavish life for our families. One of the things that I remember you telling me was, I don't care about a house. I don't care about cars or fancy stuff. All I want is my husband. Yeah. And that's really how I felt because you would always say, I'm doing all these things to make this house nice for you. And to me, it wasn't, it wasn't a home unless you were here sharing it with me and we were building it together. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's really what I wanted. That's really what I craved was, was our connection. Mm-hmm. Not all the things that filled space in our lives or, or kept us occupied. I wanted you. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we're so out of it, focused on the next job and stuff like that, that we just think we can suffice our absence by just throwing money at the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, like here, I'll just do this or we'll go out to eat or I'll buy this or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm going to, I'm going to put a wraparound porch around the house or, (laughs) you know what I mean? Whatever, you know? So yeah, no, I could definitely see that. And you know, it's, it's the hard truth, you know what I mean? That set you free. So yeah. And don't get me wrong. I look at our house now and um, I'm definitely grateful because something so incredible about you is that you'd always say, you would see like an issue with the house or the yard and you would say, babe, what do you want to do here? Like, what do you see that we can do here? And then I would tell you my vision of what I would like done in our home or in our yard. And then you would make it happen. You would build it. You would get rally the family together and we would build it. Yeah, I know that's crazy. You know, even even being out of town, we would still <laughs> do some stuff. I remember all the time. Yeah. Uh, remember that time when I had my Foreman truck and I was coming back from you know working in Texas and uh, there was all that rock that they had, <laughs> and 
I, I literally <laughs> would just fill up the back of the Foreman truck and I would bring the rock home because it was, it was a real pretty rock. And uh, I'd bring it home and I'd have, you know, some of my linemen or the apprentices loaded up in the back of my truck and I'd bring it home on the weekends and, you know, I'd start going to build stuff with the family, you know. It was always that drive, like <laughs> always. You were just so driven. I had never met another person so driven. <laughs> there was never a project that would not get finished. Like it would be finished in like two weekends, whether it meant us filling um, wheelbarrows up with dirt and like leveling out our yard by hand or <laughs> or <laughs> pulling like trees out of the forest with permits and you would get permits for everything and we would go and just like I don't know every single rock in our yard we handpicked. <laughs> yeah it's definitely a that driven gene that, you know, I think all linemen share, you know, and yeah. if we don't have a, ha a happy balance, it can actually cause a lot of disorder and destruction in our families. You know, I think it's all about balance and finding that balance. It is, especially, well, because like you guys have that drive for a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and it it's truly special. And linemen are unique. Mm -hmm. they're a unique group of people and their families are unique uh I don't I don't know if there's many groups of people out there that are relatable to that other than maybe military and people that have to travel regularly maybe there are I don't know I just know that linemen are really unique um and you guys are special with your drive so yeah balance can help with that drive i think mm, being focused yeah i agree absolutely um jenny i wanted to ask you you're touched the base with uh, you know a little bit about your father how do you see looking back how did he really influence your life you think uh well my dad is really he's a very smart man mm -hmm. um and we always, always spent so much time talking. And it's interesting because when I think back now, like he used to like to go on drives and that's something that you really like to do. Mm -hmm. um, but my dad is a very extreme personality <laughs> as well, um, which I think it definitely shaped my, um, my like desires in a partner mm -hmm. um even though i grew up in a household where my parents were divorced and i only saw my dad on the weekends he influenced me greatly the way that he would speak to me the way that we would have conversations um the way he dealt with conflict all of that his extreme personality, uh, all of it, it really shaped me, even just having a little bit of time with him. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, no, no moment with him was not burned into who I am today. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that he, 
really paved my future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Looking back, Jenny, um, we talked about loneliness now, you know, and uh, how that affects a lot of wives that are, you know, their husbands have to travel, right? So you talked about self-reflection during that time. Can you, what did you learn about that? Or what did you learn about yourself during that time? Oh man, being alone is really hard. Um, and I really chose to look at myself, even though I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. um, and during that time, I would say I had the most spiritual growth in those lonely years. Mm -hmm. They were difficult because I'm a very social person um, and I love people. And it was always just me and Dakota here mm -hmm. by ourselves. And, and I love being with my daughter, but it was difficult to have you can't have like an adult conversation with your five-year-old, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or at least you shouldn't because they don't, they don't understand what's going on. Um, and I just really chose to face it. I realized that I had uh, expectations um, and that's where most of my disappointments came from. Mm -hmm. I had expectations to have a life in my, in my thinking, like that was very different than what I was living. Mm -hmm. And um, I coped with all of it by going to church. Mm -hmm. And I just dove really deep into the, the church community because that's what really helped. Mm -hmm. I started developing um, great relationships with pastors and working at the church and all kinds of things in order to just make sure that, um, I was understanding what was going on with myself and, and being alone really caused me to have to look really deep at, at past trauma. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, I'm grateful that I was surrounded with a community that, uh, wanted good for me yeah because i was able to overcome a lot of that past trauma mm -hmm. i could see how choosing people around you that were you know positive you know really really was a was a was a a, a good idea you know what i mean because i wasn't here and it could have been it could have went the other way where you could have gotten with people who didn't have your best interest in their mind you know, and they could have taken advantage of a lonely girl. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I don't know how I made that decision. <laughs> I, I know it was all God. He had his hand on our family. Um, but yeah, I definitely could have been leaving my daughter with my mom mm -hmm. and partying while you were out of town. Mm -hmm. um, but I chose to, to seek church. Mm -hmm. and to seek what was wrong in me mm. instead. I, the question always came up in my head is, what's going on with me that I allowed this to mm. be taking place in, the, in my life? And I wanted to know why, and I wanted to fix it. Hmm. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty good question. <laughs> 
I mean, that everybody should ask themselves, you know, what, why am I allowing this? What's wrong with me that I allow this to happen? Right. You know, um, that's a deep question, Jenny. We, um, sorry, I know that we're going to, uh, we, we kind of have to know our own value um, in order for others to value ourselves, uh, value us. Mm -hmm. So um, I felt like when I was alone, I, I would fill out those things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Wow. I once heard it. Uh, I once heard a man say, Jenny, that when your dreams become your spouse's nightmares, it is time to reevaluate the dream. How did we reevaluate our dream? We were forced to, I think, with the, with me getting sick. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the most, um, like one of the trickiest things about having a spouse that's out of town mm -hmm. is wanting to know the timeline. And during that time, I wanted to know the timeline of how long you were going to be out of town, mm -hmm. but things were going good. Like you were, it was a great position and there was a lot of perks to it. So when I got sick, we were forced into reevaluating re our situation and God really had his hand on it. When I got sick, he provided for you to be home and we had to change our whole way of life. Mm -hmm. You no longer could work out of town. We had to have you here with the kids. Mm -hmm. And I think in some ways that kind of forced you to have to look at yourself too mm -hmm. and we had to we were really forced to come together and have to be together mm -hmm. and to to work as a family and to to be a family again yeah no definitely you know me looking back now i see where that was my catalyst for change you know me coming home and just seeing how the kids had become estranged from me and seeing how our family dynamic had changed so much and just to really see how much I was missing in their lives and how much of an integral part that I played in their lives as well. You mm -hmm. know? And uh, that, that was definitely the catalyst for change. So it was definitely something that needed to happen. You know, I'm not saying the sickness or anything like that, but uh, I think that actually helped our family dynamic. And that was the shift that we needed to, to go forward because I don't think we could have continued to go down the path that we were doing because I think I'd still be where I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I was already kind of um, in a place where I believed that with you being gone so much, you were teaching me how to live without you. Mm-hmm. And so my mentality was to pursue independence. If I couldn't have you, then I needed to be strong and to be independent. And, and that was starting to move me away from the marriage and away from those types of things. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, I don't think that getting sick was God's will. Mm -hmm. But I know that God um, will use all things together for good for those who love him. 
and he utilized that to bring our families to, together. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you on that. I wanted to ask you a hard question, Jenny. You know, what positive changes have you seen in me? <laughs> um, there's been so many. Uh, you're a fighter. And any time that I've ever pushed and pushed and pushed for you to change, uh, you fight me, but at the same time, you make those changes. You adjust. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I would say recently, the effort that you're putting towards being the father that you visualize yourself as is huge. Um, one of the huge things that I complained about was that we needed to make some changes in your career, either find a utility out of state or something where we could move to and all be together as a family, or you find something new and different. And um, you did, you started looking for other options. And I've always seen that you were a leader and that you were me meant for so much more that God really had a calling on your life. And I had always told you, you know, stop, stop messing around with all this stuff. That's like just occupying your time because God has like these great things for you. Mm -hmm. And you have finally really stepped into that and pursued his vision for your life. Mm -hmm. And that's how we're here today on this podcast, you know, because now you're really, you've always been a man that loved God, mm -hmm. but now you're really pursuing what he has for you. You're pursuing after him in this really amazing way. And um, you just are always striving to be better. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I thank you for that, Jenny. I really do. I mean, the just to hear affirmations like that from your wife, you know what I mean? It's just, it does so much for a man. Um, there's a saying that Sir John Templeton always says, and it, it goes like this. It says, self-improvement comes mainly from trying to help others. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, trying to improve myself by just helping others through this podcast, through the amazing guests that we have on here to, to bringing awareness to certain subjects that, you know, for lack of better words, no one wants to talk about, but it, it's plaguing men, you know, um, I think men have gotten a, a real bad rap, especially fathers, you know, and I want to try to change that perspective that society has given us, you know, mm -hmm. we are more than just a paycheck and a provider for their home, you know, and I'm trying to ignite that fire for father engagement. You know, and if we can do that by having uh, listeners come on here and, and share their stories like we've had, you know, or, or getting uh, professional speakers on here to kind of influence us and, and, and drop some good wisdom to these fathers on there, then, you know, what I mean, that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's that's where my heart is. This trade gave me an opportunity, you know, even though it was rough and it was hard on our family and stuff like that it definitely gave me an opportunity. I mean, you know, my story, I couldn't really get any other job because I was a felon. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and I, I lost jobs from that, even though I had a degree. And, uh, you know, this trade really opened up the doors for me to, to create a life for us. Mm-hmm. But there is a balance that I needed to find. There is deeper issues that I needed to fix and face in order to find that balance. Right. And I, I definitely agree, like what you're saying, you're trying to ignite the fire for father engagement, but ultimately that will result in a more fulfilling life because men can just grind and grind and grind and just be focused on work and things like that. Mm -hmm. But the fulfillment comes in the love that they receive from their family and being celebrated. Mm. Right. Right. So that way you don't feel that you're just a paycheck as well. You don't just feel like, like you work and work and work and that's all your life is Mm -hmm. like, there's so much more to life and you igniting this fire for father engagement, I think opens doors for so many possibilities of the man that every man visualizes themselves to be. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, honey. I really appreciate that. Um, what areas do you see that I still need work on? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, is this a trick question? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so I would definitely say words. Mm-hmm. Uh, you come from a trade that is real rough and words fly around, you know, on the line and while you guys work and you guys are around heavy equipment. So there's yelling and things like that. Um, and when you come home, sometimes you are still at work (laughs) when you're dealing with your kids. And uh, I would, I would definitely say just the words um, Mm -hmm. being more conscientious of which words you choose and choosing words that build. Mm -hmm. I'll definitely take that to heart and I'll continue to work on that. It's an area that I struggle with, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, you know, can't be walking around the house, you know, dropping F-bombs or anything like that. So, no, no, I, I, I believe once you become aware of, you know, these things that need to make change, you need to make changes in, you know what I mean? That's definitely leaves your mind open to start changing and, and going through that process to, to, to bring more clarity to it and, and why you do these things and to receive healing ultimately in that area. You know, mm-hmm. how can wives hold their husbands accountable in a positive way? And so I think it's so important. Um, everybody needs somebody that holds them accountable, mm-hmm. but wives definitely line wives. Um, you know, like I said, we're so unique in, in all that we have to hold up while our husbands do such a dangerous job. Um, I can definitely say to hold them accountable in a respectful manner. You need to definitely help them reground themselves um, when they can't balance 
things in their lives. And, and doing so is not saying, you know what, you're all screwed up. Like you, your priorities are all messed up and never talk down to, to your husband. I, you have always told me, David, that when you speak to the jerk, you're going to get the jerk. But if you speak to the man, you will get the man. Mm -hmm. And, um, I always tried, I didn't always do well at this, but um, I would try to build you up with a better vision mm -hmm. rather than tear your actions down. Mm -hmm. And I do know I need to work at that still, but holding you accountable to a higher vision because I respect you mm -hmm. um, rather than despising you for your actions but you know just just doing it that way mm -hmm. rather than you know um having content contempt for you mm. yeah no and, and you've done an awesome job i gotta say um i always talk about this one scenario that you know was a catalyst for me to change from for me drinking you know mm -hmm. i was in the military i drunk all over the world and everything else and you know, I brought that into line work, you know, having to cope with a lot of the issues that we had during the day or whatever. And with that being said, I always talk about that scenario where I was throwing miniatures over the fence and the neighbor brought the bucket and, you know, his five gallon bucket. And he's like, are these yours? And, you know, mm -hmm. and it was the miniatures that I drank maker's mark. I used to love maker's mark and shiner Bach. So I remember you, talking to me and saying, you know, I'm not going to heckle you about this situation. I'm not going to harass you. I'm not going to do anything, but if you are okay with your daughter growing up, being accustomed to the smell that you, you you're producing, you know what I mean? From, from the alcohol, then I'll leave you alone. You know, if you're okay with her growing up, and seeking that in another man, a mate, and being okay with that smell, then, you know, I will not bring this up again. And when you hit me with that word, I mean, I tell you what, I had tried to stop drinking several times. I had a cycle where I'd go from drinking to chewing, chewing to drinking, vice versa. And uh, I never broke that cycle until that day where you told me those kind, but straightforward words, you know, and I just got to commend you on that because if you would have told me a different way, I would have probably been drinking. I would have probably, probably killed myself already in a DUI or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Cause it had gotten to that point where it was, it was bad. And uh, you know, I just want to thank you for, for being able to drop that wisdom on me and, and, and speaking to me with respect that you did, you know, and not, for lack of better words, just bombarding me with all these, these, these negative thoughts and saying, you're a piece of crap, or, you know, you're a drunk or anything like that. You know what I mean? You, you spoke the truth in love mm -hmm. and I got to give my hat off to you for that. I give my hat off to you because you've been sober for such a long time now, what, like 10 years you, mm -hmm. you took that and you, um, never looked back. You never went back. Uh, and, you know, sometimes we do go back, but it's always 
a new day the next day and we can make better choices the next day. And, uh, you know, I just, it, it was always so important to me because I saw how great a man you are. Mm -hmm. And I knew that one day you would walk in that. Um, and I just had a lot of guidance from a lot of wise women mm -hmm. on how to help build that vision in you through the words that I spoke to you. Well, thank you. I, I, I truly, truly appreciate that, babe. <sighs> now, I wanted to ask you, well, actually, I wanted to tell you this quote I heard, okay? It says, whatever direction the husband leads in, good or bad, that is direction the family will follow. That being said, our leadership roles are crucial in the development and survival of our families. You have seen the good and the bad. What qualities do a husband need to lead their family and lead well? I definitely think that uh, when a husband is, is level-headed. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, everything I always take is from the Bible because I really feel like God knows best. Mm -hmm. And uh, it talks a lot about how a husband is to love their wives like Christ loved the church. And, and love is really all about leading in a way that is protective. It is um, kind of in a, in a, a servitude way mm -hmm. where you, where a husband should be thinking about the needs of his family mm -hmm. before his own desires. Um, I think we see a lot in our society today where people anesthetize their pain with hobbies and desires and things like that because they um, don't know how else to deal with it. But when we stop focusing on numbing that pain mm -hmm. and we start focusing on serving others the pain disappears and then we're able to lead in a loving way um, when we we take our children and put them first when we take our wives and we put them first and and we consider their needs above our own desires um, i i think that makes a great leader at for a household Mm -hmm. um, and communication is a big part of that. Um, and communication isn't a two-way street. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a two-way street. I'm sorry. It is a two-way street, but there's two parts to it. Um, you need to be able to speak well and to, to speak in love, but also with authority. And you also need to listen well. Mm-hmm. Um, when you can, when, when a leader can listen to what their, the followers or their family needs or, or is saying mm -hmm. and wants to be heard, to be cared for, then, um, then people want to follow. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Jacques, John Maxwell had an awesome quote where he said that people don't care how much you know until you know how much you care. And I think that plays majorly in leadership because even with our families, you know what I mean? My, my daughter is dynamic with me. She doesn't really listen to me until she knows that I care about her. Mm-hmm. I care about her well-being. I care about her thoughts, mm-hmm. her dreams, her desires. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, she definitely... Uh, you, it's easy to see it in children because they just are like, well, whatever. And they're so um, pronounced in, in their characteristics on how, in their behavior on how they deal with other people. Mm-hmm. But with her, like, it's so apparent, like you can go in there and lecture her all day long and she won't hear anything that you have to say or even respect anything you have to say until until she's able to talk to you and say what she feels. And when you listen to her, you, I can see her open up to you. Those are the moments that she opens up. Yeah, no, definitely. I I had a past guest on here. I I don't know if you remember Stephen Poulter and he talked about that daughters actually need relationship before they need structure. Mm -hmm. And that holds true. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I see it in her and, it's, it's so evident in everything that we do with her. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm once again, just so grateful that I've been able to have guests like him on here on the show to, to share with our audience, you know, uh, Jenny, that's a wrap. So I just want to thank you once again for coming on here and just sharing your story with our listeners and the why behind the show of that. And, you know, I just, uh, know that this is going to be a tremendous blessing to a lot of line wives out there, you know, tradesmen wives who, you know, go through the similar, similar things that you've gone through, Mm -hmm. you know? So I just want to thank you for coming on here. Thank you for having me. Um, It's been really amazing and so exciting to see this journey take off and yeah, it's definitely all for the, the families out there. I know that linemen aren't the only ones that travel. There's, men that um, go on oil rigs and firefighters and all different things where, you know, careers that keep their, them separated from their families. So I know that a lot of people experience these things in life. And I just want to tell you all that um, there's hope. You just got to find out what works with your individual situation. If you feel like you're in a place that is difficult. So thank you so much for having me. And we just wish the best for all the families out there. Absolutely. And uh, one last thing before we get off the air here, I just want to uh, just say uh, condolences real quick to a good friend of mine. He just passed away. Jack Gonzalez, good friend, you know, um, he was a lineman for, I believe, 30 plus years. And, uh, you know, he, he lost his life on the line, you know, yesterday. So, you know, just condolence to his family and everybody that knew him, anybody who's having a hard time, you know, with his passing, you know what I mean? Jack was an awesome dude and he was loved by a lot. So I just want to say, you know, Jack, you know, it was, it was an awesome time knowing you brother. God bless. Thank you. And uh, once again, you know, this podcast is brought to you 
by the Show Up Dad Foundation. We are a nonprofit organization, igniting the fire for father engagement. You guys take care. God bless.